for over a decade now we've had whatever cheap cheap money and so now we're going to this world where that's not the thing um mm -hmm. so yeah it is an interesting paradigm shift where kind of that cheap money and like data driven at any cost kind of like just tied together perfectly right so teams were blowing up everything was exploding like you know even looking back when i worked at facebook like thinking about how big the team was that it was and what we focused on i was like wow that really was a big team for what we were doing like yeah it's nice to think that it could be that big but yeah it's like when you really think about it it it, it doesn't necessarily make sense so i think there's a lot of that discussion Mm -hmm. I think some people are swinging a little too hard. Um, obviously, like some people are like, we got to just do everything like as cheap as possible. Yeah. Um, which is not obviously either the right way. But, you know, I, I, I do see that people are trying to figure out like what is a rational amount of money to, to actually put into your, your data team. So um, I think I think there's just some more thought being put there, which is good. Right. Like I, I think that's good. I think that's something that should have probably always been there again. You yeah. know, when, when you're in it from when you get out of college, your only focus is get a job. So. When you're in it for so long, you're just like, oh, this is normal. But like, you know, having this breather, I, I think has been uh, good for the industry to some degree because we can kind of refocus, rethink about yeah. things. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it feels feels healthy, right? It's like to a degree, if, if you know, you're on the inside of a company like at a Facebook and you're looking at the problems they're trying to solve and you're like, we probably have way too many people focused on this. Like we could accomplish just as much, um, you know, if you're consciously thinking that that's probably true. And I think that for the past couple of years prior to tech stocks getting hammered, it was just this kind of like growth mindset of just go, go, go. Don't need, don't think about the costs associated with things. Just like try to try to get the problem solved. And now people are having to, the businesses are under a bit more pressure to actually be, be more careful, be more cautious, be more thoughtful about how they spend money, especially when it comes to, human resources um which has been interesting for us as well i don't know Stuart, is there anything that 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 you've been noticing personally that's been going on i'm sure you've seen similar things to what ben's describing but absolutely so efficiency definitely agree with ben on that uh not just how much are we spending or what's a reasonable amount to spend but you know are we getting um efficient results uh are we doing more with less is is, is what a lot of people like to say but it's not so much that as uh, are we, you know, making things easier? Are we are we investing in play, are we investing in products or solutions that help us become more efficient in this? But also, I think uh, what I'm seeing with a lot of customers is maybe for the first time they're having to, you know, sing for their supper or prove that data is valuable and that specifically their implementation. And it's really tough to to do that, uh, to measure outcomes, right? We all know what the outcomes are, better decisions. Um, at the end of the day is the thing we're all uh, hoping for. But how do you measure the decision that wasn't taken? How do you measure the decision that was taken that's a little bit smarter or better than, than the, the, the next best decision? Okay. I think figuring that out um, in this time will be very valuable. And it's not necessarily that it's some big mystery that has to be unlocked. I think we just have to be mindful that we're, uh, you know, as a data team, we are reporting back to the business or the organization and saying, this is what we saved you. This is the risk we avoided um, in, in the best way we can. And I think that will help uh, continue to get the budgets, even if they are smaller, at least not have them become any smaller than they are.
Hey everyone, welcome to Coffee with Coalesce, our monthly podcast on all things data and the people, products, and technology transforming our industry. I'm Armand Petrosian, your host and the CEO and co-founder of Coalesce, the data transformation company. I'm pumped. I'm super excited to have Ben Rogujan, also known as the Seattle data guy, but really is in Denver, Colorado. So a little bit misleading at this point. Uh, but we've done so many events with you, Ben. It's always a blast. I feel like you got a great perspective and you got a great community of people that uh, you know you you write blog posts about. You've been one of the first people, in my opinion, that has kind of become a data influencer. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay with that term? <laughs> it, it's one of those things that you, uh, I, I've done it by like byproduct, right? Like where it's like, look, yeah. I do consulting and like in order to get clients, like I, I, I want to share content. I want to like, you know, make sure, you know, I share value. So yeah, uh, look, the influencer not, part comes on accident. You, you're not an Instagram model, but you're you're just as wow. good when it comes to the data world. <laughs> wow, I don't know how I should take that. <laughs> look, you're not as easy, you know. Uh, no, I, I I was actually super pumped that I tuned into some of your content in the earlier days and felt like the data world, the data community, really needed somebody to push it forward and produce content that, like you said, just helps increase awareness and knowledge around what goes on and uh, how to improve and accelerate your career. So I've always been a really big fan. You know, I think you and I caught up when we came out of stealth about a year ago. Um, it's been awesome getting to know you. So um, I'll let you do an intro. Then we've also got Stuart, who is our newest uh, Snowflake data superhero. Also just an amazing human being altogether <laughs> at Coalesce. In case, in case the data superhero team is watching. Uh, yeah. Shout out. <laughs> um, so yeah, Ben, why don't, why don't you start us off? Just give us a quick intro if you don't mind. Same with you, Stuart, and then we can kick this thing off. Yep. Hey, and for people who don't know me, uh, I'm Ben, uh, again, aka Seattle Data Guy, but now in Denver. Um, basically, uh, been kind of in the data engineering space, data infrastructure space for the last near decade now. Um, started off in like healthcare, honestly, working in hospitals, kind of doing the same thing, BI uh, intelligence, went to healthcare startup. Uh, where we kind of just focused on uh, creating, like, honestly, we just like aggregated data, created dashboards off it and resold it back to other companies. So that was, that was our focus. It was, you know, um, I say startup, but it was really a successful, a successful small company, right? Like it was, it was profitable um, and uh, just probably was never going to grow much more. Uh, then after that was at Facebook for a few years doing data engineering. And all throughout that I've been consulting uh, just in 2021, it finally got to the point where, you know, doing consulting was, most of what I was doing anyway. So I was like, I, I better quit Facebook before they, before they're like, Oh, do you do, do you work here anymore? <laughs> I, just, I just got busy and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to try doing this. So now, now I help companies kind of set up their data stacks or figure out if they need to replace things, figure out if they can simplify things. Uh, sometimes I do honestly, even sometimes product analysis on, on all the different solutions. So, you know, consult all over in the, in the data space. Awesome. Love it. Excited to have you on board. Yeah. And, uh, and how about you, Stuart? Yeah, so uh, I'm one of the more, I'm the more seasoned one uh, in the room. So uh, uh, I, I went through the on-prem data warehouse explosion, mostly around Oracle tools. Um, then you know the big data uh, revolution, um, and now the cloud evolution, I guess. And uh, so spent a lot of time taking customers off 
off-prem, I guess you'd say, uh, with my company, Red Pill Analytics, which you know I sold in 2019. Um, um, moved around the space a little bit until uh, joining Coalesce, and I'm now the head of customer experience. So a lot of my experience consulting with big enterprises, uh, I take a customer-first approach um, and lead Coalesce around support customer success and uh, our, our uh, you know, um, DevRel uh, relationship with developers and how to make them more successful and, and what they want to see in the product. And really excited to be here with Ben. Um, I guess he's an influencer now by uh, some of to rub off on me, right? So I'm going to get more likes. That's uh, <laughs> funny. Ben, Ben's a, ben, I don't know, Ben, you don't like being called a data influencer. We'll just call you it's data kind of, It's kind of one of those things like maybe you, I, I just have to learn to accept it. Um, I think it's because I want to think, I want people to think of me as a, like someone that's like more of a consultant first and not, sure. not, as, a, not as an influencer first. But, you know, I, I get that that's like also part of, part of the thing. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the the main thing that's it's always focused on is, and all your content's focused on is is putting a magnifying lens on things that are going on in the industry, how people can accelerate their careers, how they can just advance in general, uh, have a more modern perspective when it comes to analytics. So, uh, you know, one of the things I always love hearing about, since you're talking to all types of different companies, you're working with so many different organizations, is some of your expectations for 2023. That goes to both of you gentlemen, but... Um, you know, Ben first, like what, what expectations do you have in this year and what trends are you seeing that you're excited about or not so excited about just things that are happening? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that like, at least even with a lot of clients I'm, I'm talking with or, or possible prospects, you know, that there's definitely plenty of discussions more in, in terms of like doing more with less, so to speak. Obviously there, there's a lot of that, that focus where it's like, all right, you know, we are coming out of this like weird world where it's like, you know, I, I said, you know, I've been doing this for about a decade. Well, for over a decade now, we've had whatever cheap, cheap money. And so now we're going to this world where that's not the thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is an interesting paradigm shift where kind of that cheap money and like data driven at any cost kind of like just tied together perfectly. Right. So teams were blowing up. Everything was exploding. Like, you know, even looking back when I worked at Facebook, like thinking about how big the team was that it was and what we focused on. I was like, wow, that really was a big team for what we were doing. Like, yeah, it's nice to think that it could be that big, but yeah, it's like, when you really think about it, 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 it doesn't necessarily make sense. So I think there's a lot of that discussion. Mm -hmm. I think some people are swinging a little too hard. Um, obviously like some people are like, we got to just do everything like as cheap as possible. Yeah. Um, which is not obviously either the right way, but you know, I, I, I do see that people are trying to figure out like, what is a rational amount of money to, to actually put into your, your data team? So um, I think I think there's just some more thought being put there, which is good, right? Like I, I think that's good. I think that's something that should have probably always been there. Again, you yeah. know, when you're in it from when you get out of college, your only focus is get a job. So when you're in it for so long, you're just like, oh, this is normal. But like you know, having this breather, I I think has been uh, good for the industry to some degree because we can kind of refocus, rethink about yeah. things. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it feels feels healthy, right? It's like to a degree, if if you know you're on the inside of a company like at a Facebook, and you're looking at the problems they're trying to solve, and you're like, we probably have way too many people focused on this. Like, we could accomplish just as much. Um, you know, 
if you're consciously thinking that, that's probably true. And I think that for the past couple of years prior to tech stocks getting hammered, it was just this kind of like growth mindset of just go, go, go. Don't need, don't think about the costs associated with things. Just like try to try to get the problem solved. And now people are having to, the businesses are under a bit more pressure to actually be, be more careful, be more cautious, be more thoughtful about how they spend money, especially when it comes to human resources, um, which has been interesting for us as well. I don't know, Stuart, is there anything that, that, that you've been noticing personally that's been going on? I'm sure you've seen similar things to what Ben's describing, but. Absolutely. So efficiency, definitely agree with Ben on that. Uh, not just how much are we spending or what's a reasonable amount to spend, but, you know, are we getting um, efficient results? Uh, are we doing more with less is, is, is what a lot of people like to say, but it's not so much that as uh, are we, you know, making things easier? Are we, are we investing in play? Are we investing in products or solutions that help us become more efficient in this? But also I think uh, what I'm seeing with a lot of customers is maybe for the first time they're having to, you know, sing for their supper or prove that data is valuable and that specifically their implementation. And it's really tough to, to do that, uh, to measure outcomes, right? We all know what the outcomes are, better decisions. Um, at the end of the day is the thing we're all uh, hoping for. But how do you measure the decision that wasn't taken? How do you measure the decision that was taken that's a little bit smarter or better than, than the, the, the next best decision? Okay. I think figuring that out um, in this time will be very valuable. And it's not necessarily that it's some big mystery that has to be unlocked. I think we just have to be mindful that we're, uh, you know, as a data team, we are reporting back to the business or the organization and saying, this is what we saved you. This is the risk we avoided um, in, in the best way we can. And I think that will help uh, continue to get the budgets, even if they are smaller, at least not have them become any smaller than they are. Did, did either of you feel like you noticed a, a switch in the way that businesses and data teams have been thinking in the sense that I feel like historically, or at least up until recently, there's been this huge focus on, you know, things like optimizing your, your database and, or, or like trying to be able to, to optimize compute. Whereas now it's more around how do we optimize the actual team and the amount of people focused on projects? Like I, I always felt up until recently, people didn't necessarily look at the total cost of ownership. They weren't looking at TCO. They were just looking at the cost of the technologies. Yes. And then now recently it's like, Oh, back to Ben's statement around like being at Facebook and feel like there's a lot of people focused on something. Now it's like becoming more around how many people are actually in the team, you know, like we're not going to hire any more people like th that budget's cut. Like those types of things are starting to be impacted, which I think historically wasn't the case uh, up until recent. Is that what you've noticed? Both, both of you have noticed as well. Why don't you go first, Ben? Okay, sure. I was going to, I was going to try. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's interesting. There's definitely a lot of, again, contractions in team size. So yeah, I think there's some reduction in like, how can we, again, do more with less? But yeah. I think um, what's interesting there is there's still just like a tendency, especially as like engineers, like to want to do things our own way, I think. 
you know, to want to build things, to want to like, you know, it's like, hey, this is why you hired me. Like I'm, I code, I write, I build. Um, you know, I've come into clients where it's like, hey, I want to like build my own application that does, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'll like look at it and be like, or we could do it in retool for like $15 a month. Okay, you need like 10 users. So, okay, $150 a month. Um, the, the same thing you, if you had me do it, right? Like if you had me come and do it, like I'd charge you like 10 or $20,000. So why not just do that? You know, pay me a little bit of time and, and, and mm-hmm. build that instead. Um, so I still think it's there, right? Especially like if you're still new to the industry or you, you like building things in a certain way, I think people will always kind of try to push for that. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's like out of any sort of like malice or anything. It's just like, it's fun. Like, yeah, I, I like building things from scratch and doing things if I can. Um, right. But but there is this kind of constant like weighing of the scales where it's like, okay, but where do we focus on business um, and, and the business value? And I think there's those conversations are happening a little more. Like I have some clients who are like, you know, oh yeah, I use whatever insert product at the last company. Mm-hmm. I basically was able to, you know, get a lot of the data into the data warehouse as like a marketing manager or marketing director and now I'm in a new company and I just want to do the same thing. And I just want you to come in and like do the dashboard. Like I've, I've had that conversation a lot recently with, with some clients where it's like, look, we know we can get that data in easily. That's mm-hmm. not the problem. We now need you to like do the next step and add, add that layer. So that's kind of what I, I feel like I'm seeing. There's, there's some people that are, will always want to build things from scratch. And then there's some people who are like, hey, I've already done this like two times. I know how to get the baseline. I need you just to do that extra layer. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll say uh, absolutely. Armand, I had a customer a few years back that was on BigQuery. And of course, if you're not familiar, BigQuery is uh, charged by the, um, you know, basically byte scanned for lack of a better term. And they were having these large BigQuery bills and they, they started writing all this code that was offloading things from BigQuery and running them in Python containers. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, the amount of uh, spend on the resources to build that stuff and support it uh, never figured into the equation. So, you know, people are still the most expensive resource. Uh, they're the hardest to find. It's easy to go find some good compute. Uh, that's pretty easy. Um, to go find a good, uh, SQL query engine. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, obviously you do your due diligence on what, what platforms best for you, but all of them are good choices. Finding people, retaining Mm -hmm. people, uh, is, very, very difficult. So I think it's short-sighted to, to be so obsessed with the, with your snowflake spend or whatever spend, obviously do your best and, and, and don't waste money. But at the same time, your people spend is, is way more expensive. If you find a way to enable people to do more, you won't be so concerned with that snowflake spend. It'll be worth it. And it goes back to my point earlier as well as reporting back the value to the organization. If you can if you can quantify what that spend is getting you, um, then you wouldn't be so you know obsessed with it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's funny. I feel like the scenario you're describing around you know everybody building their own Python containers to offload some of the compute costs of the database. In I think historical times, the cost for the resources to do that would would have been overlooked. Whereas now it would have been a lot more scrutinized is how it feels. Like it feels like that is becoming more of a focus for businesses when it comes to just data teams in general, which, yeah, again, it's like a, it's, it's a bit of a higher level understanding of what's going on from your entire analytics architecture. 
uh, but ultimately should be a good thing associated with like focusing on the right things, focusing on what's actually delivering value to the business versus trying to cost cut when in actuality you're raising the TCO. So um, I see some comments, some questions. If everybody, if anybody has any questions for these two fine gentlemen, let me know, Uh, hit up the comments. I I see uh, Dan Scott saying what's up to all three of us. Hey Dan, Uh, along with Kurt, Kurt Lansing saying, Glad to finally catch one of these conversations live. You came to the best one ever. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then we got um, Joel. So Joel's asking, you know, be interested to hear any perspective on quick wins to build momentum and get the buy-in from the overall organization. I, I feel like this is something that, especially in the enterprise, you know, we work with a lot of big companies. They often overlook how important it is to just get some quick wins with some low-hanging fruit. Before embarking on this two-year-long, three-year-long enterprise-scale migration or net new data warehouse build, like we see this happen so often, where instead of focusing on like what are some quick, quick wins we can deliver value to the business, get some more buy-in, kind of start this snowball effect. Uh, instead, they focus on like this big bang, and. Yeah, it, it always baffles me why that's such a common trend in data warehousing. Maybe it's just because of the the times in the past where it was really hard to to get quick wins. It's it's not really an excuse anymore, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, Ben, I'd be curious, what's your approach? How do you how would you advise somebody like Joel or somebody else in some other organization when it comes to you just got into a new role, trying to deliver some value quickly? Like, what's the what's the best way to go about this? Yeah, uh, I, I was going to get like the, the first example that comes to mind was like an accidental quick quick win when I first started, like in in, in working at a hospital, we had just kind of built out a data warehouse and we were just like half, we just happened to be look, like looking through the numbers. We were a finance team, so we were looking through kind of like the accounting and we're like, hey, what's this 200K spend from this one department? And mm-hmm. we ended up finding out that like this one department leader, like, somehow was able to uh, spend like over $200,000 on basically computer equipment uh, when they shouldn't have been able to, right? Like it's one of those things where, you know, like as you kind of go up, like as check size get bigger, you need higher and higher people to sign off on them. And like somehow this person had like gone around that and like spent $200,000 and then like having to reassess like what that did to the budget. Um, that was that was kind of an interesting quick win. Uh, cool. But usually like if we're talking about like an approach you know, I'm doing this with with a client right now, where it's like, okay, we're trying to figure out, okay, first, who's who's our who's going to be our our champion, right? Um, I was actually reading a, a tweet thread about this where someone was talking about the CFO, and that's one possible champion. Um, in this right. other case, it's more on the, the marketing, so like director of marketing, CMO. Um, you know, it's like, okay, okay, this is our champion. We know that these people, right, like marketers, like love data, right? Like they want to have information on their ad spend, attribution, all these things. So if you can figure out, okay, what what do they care? What what information do they not have right now that they need to be making decisions. Okay, how do we get them that information? And so that's usually kind of my flow. It's like, okay, who's the champion? What information do they need that they're not getting? Like, what pains are they feeling? Like, they ask this question all the time. Like, am I spending money in the right place? Are my ads actually useful? Can yeah. we answer those questions? And then building something that can do that. That can be a dashboard. It could honestly just be a quick report that, like, is like, hey, here's a quick rundown. We could build this in an automated way in the future, but right now, you know, here's a quick analysis. Um, yes, you are. No, you're not. Turn off these, uh, you know, ad campaigns. They're not making you any money. You're losing money. 
right. I was talking to someone where they were like, that's sometimes the best solution is like not optimizing ad campaigns to make more money, but just turning off all the ones that are not making uh, any money. Right. So I think that's kind of, kind of a great way, you know, <laughs> kind of put it together. That makes sense. Basically like <clears throat> one thing that I've seen is when you're thinking about an enterprise data warehouse where you're consolidating all this information from the lines of business, those are typically longer projects by nature. Whereas if you go into the line of business focus, like a marketing department or a finance department, there's usually going to be quicker, easier wins just because it's a little bit more straightforward by nature. And then going from there to actually the more centralized use cases of the business, uh, trying to get that holistic view, which you know was going to take a bit longer. So Stuart, you, you, I mean, if you were to put your services hat back on from the earlier days at Red Pill, you did a ton of Oracle takeouts going to Snowflake um, and worked on some massive migrations. Given these were pretty big projects, you know, what was your approach to getting some of these quick wins along the way? Yeah. Given Um, probably was EDW use cases. I just want to echo what Ben said about marketing. It's a great one because uh, the, the, the sources are all cloud SaaS applications, relatively new investments. Uh, haven't been running for 20 years like the ERP or 10 years like the ERP. So, and they've probably been, uh, you know, neglected um, in the past. So, mm-hmm. and plus marketing people uh, based on their nature uh, will be your maven for success. And they will, uh, you know, tout uh, the success they've gotten with the new organization. But to talk about the you know, of these migrations, it was always frustrating because based on, you know, on-prem, it, it made a lot of sense to consolidate. Mm-hmm. So because of licensing costs and, and just uh, constrained compute and all those reasons. So, you, you know, I'd often talk to these CIOs or CTOs that all they could think about is that migration, that lift and shift or that lift slightly refactor. We had to do all that. And there are, there were so many neglected use cases that hadn't been solved on prem. And so, you know, either, or, you know, you could start these quick wins while investigating the migration. Mm -hmm. These, these quick wins, you you know, they, they don't exist on prem, but probably always should have do those quick wins while you're planning this migration, especially if you've made an ironclad decision on the technologies that you're going to do that migration on. They can go, it's not a binary choice. Start building new stuff. They would wait until all the old stuff's migrated and then they'll start to consider uh, some new builds and some new use cases. When when, when you should be doing them probably in tandem, you should start building uh, and solving the neglected workloads immediately especially because they're they're quick win as joel yeah. said and also they're they tend to be easier lift because they're going to be cloud-based solutions in a lot of cases that, so, that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean I, I feel like uh you know when you look at a large migration the business will typically look at it almost like a sunk cost they're like okay it's going to spend two or three years just to get everything offloaded on into the cloud yeah doesn't really move the needle but if you're able to uh if you're able to accomplish that in parallel as you're picking off these certain use cases exactly. in different lines of business, whether it's marketing or finance or some other department, and get that get get those stakeholders interested, get them some value while you're going through this lift and shift, if that's what the exactly. business demands that they do, 
Um, although, I, you know, I typically would recommend you refactor some of that along the way. It's a good opportunity. Yeah. Uh, get, like get, getting those quick wins in parallel, I think would only help kind of alleviate some of the stress that comes with some of these larger scale migrations. So hopefully that answers the question, Joel. If anybody else has got some, definitely, definitely feel free to post in the comments here. I think one other thing that I'd be really curious to hear about from both your perspectives, uh, you know, I was reading some of Ben's blog posts recently, and uh, I was talking about kind of the, some of the demands from data teams recently. Like we've obviously seen a larger focus on operational efficiency, you know, being able to do more with less or just do more with the existing team, right? Like, hey, we, we're not going to be able to grow the team. Uh, but I was on a webinar with Alation, Fivetran, and LightUp, data quality company, uh, last week. And, you know, I feel like, you know, even talking to Satish, my co-founder, talking to Stuart, like data quality has always been something that's plagued data teams. And so curious to hear some feedback on like, first off, why is it such a big issue? And like, how does it actually get solved from both your perspectives? Go for it, Ben. Yeah. Um, it, you know, data quality is like this for, I, I feel like it's a forever issue, at least for me, right? Like when I, when I first started in the industry, I went to, um, or I, I attended a lot of, I don't know if anyone's heard DEMA, like they're like data, yeah. data management group. Yes. Uh, I attend a lot of that, those, those meetings. And a lot of what they'd say is like garbage in, garbage out, right? Like, and mm -hmm. we still say it today. And so like data quality has been like this constant thing. That's always like, you know, we know it's a problem. We yeah. know it's hard to manage. Uh, most of the time, right? Like a lot of companies would like write like SQL checks and things like that, or, or something to try. Like, like can, can we try to get ahead of this? Um, and I'm. It's always hard to get investment in the space. I think that that's the other issue. You know, um, there's there's a lot of tooling that exists nowadays where like, again, all those SQL checks that exist, you could in theory, uh, you know, get pre-bought, you know, or pre-built at the very least, and you don't have to build a whole system to do it. Uh, when I worked at the healthcare startup, we had a whole system that would do it where we like we had SQL checks. It basically would then load it into the database, and like we could look back historically and see how you know different um, different tables were kind of doing over time. Uh, so it's interesting to me that it's like it's not too expensive to some degree to like use some of these solutions, but it is expensive enough that a lot of companies are like, maybe yeah. not. Like, do we want to spend, you know, like I think a lot of them start around $20,000, you know, before talking about like open source, you know, talking about like pre-built, you know, plug and play yeah. kind of solutions starting that in that range. So, you know, for SMBs and mid-market companies, they're not really looking, I think, to jump in uh, on, on those things. So usually in order to like get to a place where you need it, you need a problem where it's like the CEO or the CFO has now like made a complaint um, to where it's like, okay, now we can maybe, you know, try to do this. And I think it's just not, it tends not to be rewarded, which is, which is the other, other issue is like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you have good data quality. It's almost expected, but it's hard to do because again, you're dealing with like data sources that you don't always control. You're dealing with data sources that change. You're dealing with logic that changes, you know, e even at Facebook, sometimes like logic would be in the application that wouldn't exist later on. So you'd have to like add in uh, like SQL case statements just to try to manage it. Um, and so it's just all of these things where it's like, uh, not a lot of things go in the right direction to like motivate people to like constantly build uh, high quality data. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. And the fact that it's the fact that we don't measure outcomes. Um, there's no proof that the data is good or bad. 
And there's a lot of people who, who um, simply don't want to, you know, uh, open the curtain and see whether or not you, you, you have bad data throughout your organization. I think the fact that the that dashboards were the primary uh, target for data for years and people, you know, proactively looking at dashboards and making decisions. I mean, we weren't measuring those decisions, so we don't know the outcomes of whether or not our poor quality data is costing us money or not. I think as we move more to data products, like if you have an ML model that uses data to do something, uh, identify, predict, whatever, the product either works or it doesn't. Right. And if the data quality is bad, the product won't work. So I think as we move more to, to, to really data products that have a, that have a measurable outcome, uh, we will see that the data, that the quality of our data is bad and we can no longer ignore it. So, yeah. the, you know, every, I, I do podcasts all the time and, and um, anytime I'm asked for what's the prediction for this year, I, I, I've been saying for years, this is when data quality, this is the year data quality <laughs> will, finally be, will finally be taken serious. And I've been wrong a lot. Um, so I'm gonna not, I'm going to walk back from the ledge just a little. I'm not going to say that, but I think just the way that we're moving toward being measured, singing for our supper, having data uh, products as opposed to just uh, passive dashboards. I think we have to solve this. And I think that uh, we'll finally start to take it seriously and SQL test this year. This, yeah, is yeah. this is the year. This is the year. This is the year. Um, uh, you're, you're shot, sound like Michael Burry. Uh, <laughs> stock, like, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I, I agree as well with both of you. I mean, it, it feels like data quality at times is a bit of a taboo subject because, like, by the time you get to the dashboard and the business is making decisions on it, like, nobody really wants to know if it's inaccurate. <laughs> Just to make that point, we, you know, I've done migrations where during the migration, we've identified lots and lots of calculation errors that have been running oh, for gosh. years and years. And they, and yeah. they, the answer was just, no, just keep it, just keep it. Oh, we've been, so you know, uh, it's going to be hard to explain why this numbers all of a sudden dipped and, and uh, all of that. So no, don't, don't fix it. We've been living with it this long. And uh, that was just maddening. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like there's a natural evolution in the analytics workflow. Like, you know, we're, we're super passionate about this when it comes to transformations and how we've seen automation impact each segment of the workflow. And I think for the longest time, the world was waiting for a platform like a Snowflake that gave users access and scalability, but was still simplistic and easy to use. Similarly, like that led to other problem areas that were solved almost in the sequence of what was needed in the workflow of analytics. So like with Snowflake came something like Fivetran for automating the ingestion of data. And then following that, it's like, how do we accelerate transformations to get the data to the point that it's consumable? And hopefully, you know, I think our expectation would be is that as we accelerate the development that's on the platforms, when it comes to transforming data and taking it from its raw format to the point that it's consumable, it'll open up doors for businesses to focus on things like data quality because they're actually able to accomplish the workflow so much more quickly. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it's like businesses and data teams are so far behind on the demands and requests 
that like the last thing they can do is go back and try to make sure that the quality is of, of just the highest level. And so you, you, you kind of go through these baby steps. It feels like at times, like the analytics market moves super quickly, but it also moves super slowly. It feels as well. Yeah, if you apply that to any other industry, right? Like we got to make more cars, right? <laughs> no matter whether they blow up or, or, or what, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, I know that you weren't uh, saying that, that this is what should happen. So I didn't want to necessarily, but yeah, um, but I think it's just, we got to, you can sort of take a step back and kind of take a look at ourselves as, as, as data practitioners and say, that quality is just as important in this industry as it is in any other industry. Um, and um, it doesn't matter how much we produce if, if it's all kind of rubbish. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I uh, also appreciate you bringing up DEMA, Ben. I haven't been to one of those events in a little while, like definitely since the pandemic, but I remember going to those all the time, like the data architecture focus and, I, I, like, are they still doing quite a few of those around the U.S. at this point? They are. I think. I think the thing with Dama is like they they need. It's like trying to like now catch kind of. I think the new wave of people and and keeping yeah. them them interested. And I think that's like data governance, data data management is all very important, but it's also like unavoidably dry, right? Like it's, just, it's hard to make interesting, right? Like it's like oh, let's talk about data governance. It's like right. okay. Uh, this isn't the sexiest subject. I want to talk about like, you know, like if I'm an engineer, I want to be like, I want to talk about like compute and efficiency and things like that. Or, you know, what's yeah. the cool new tool? Or, or if you're on the data science side, it's like, I want to talk about, you know, you know, chat GPT. So I think, I think in some cities, they've had a hard time just kind of like keeping with that curve and, and, and like enticing new people to, to understand why it's important. Um, so, but, it, but I, I like going to those events. Like I'd say, like, if, if you're starting in the industry, you should, go like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh a lot of stuff you'll think you'll you're discovering for the first time uh and then you go to that event and you're like oh no this is this has been going like, on forever yeah, yeah there's a whole book on this they've been doing this forever like we are we're you know if you if you just come into the data industry you know there's decades of experience that that exists uh and it's captured there so it's it's uh it's pretty it's pretty hilarious like there's so much in the kind of old school data approaches that has been neglected and a bit of the newer school like startups you know early stage companies that are doing data driven things and we're seeing that evolve as well you know especially in times like this where businesses are putting more of a demand on data teams to be efficient and sustainable with how they approach things it, it's 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 almost the industry's relearning some of these historical concepts yeah. but but now with much more powerful technology in place to support it along with a lot of innovation, which is, which is always kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so state of data, state of data engineering, you know, I think given all these, all these discussion points, I, I always think it's super interesting on how different industries are impacted, like what industries are being impacted the most and how, so like you talked about in the behind the scenes earlier, uh, working with PE firms and how how they become some of your favorite clients. Um, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear from you around uh, like what are you seeing firsthand? Like which industries are being are benefiting? Also, which industries are hurting right now? Um, and like which ones have the most potential as well? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I have some insight, not all the insight here. Like, you know, I can talk sure. about the bias from from what I've what I'm working with, right? Like, companies that are obviously having possibly a harder time is is anything that's a little more discretionary, um, right? Like, if it's like e-commerce uh, businesses or things of that nature, where it's like a product where maybe you can wait a little longer till you buy a new shirt or something. You know, those those tend to be a little more um, just just held back. Whereas, you know, if you're insurance, if you're you know something that is hard, you know, an inelastic good, so to speak, right? Like you're not, you're not, not going to pay for it. Um, right. those, those tend to seem to, to be fine and, and are trying to figure out, you know, kind of this new state. Yeah. Like PE firms are always interesting to me. Like I, they can be the most fun mm -hmm. um, because like one, you might work for the, the, the actual PE firm or you might work for some of their, their portfolio companies, which often, right? Like PE firms are, are trying to do things like, uh, get like 30 companies and put them together. So deal with those data problems, right? Like can we have 30 different systems we now need yeah. to can, you know, get all together so that we can answer questions on how we're doing financially. So we can, you know, reposition this product or this, this company. So I, I think they offer really interesting challenges, right. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of like, you know, how do we get all this stuff now uh, from this crazy mess that we have, you know, having 30 different HubSpot instances uh, right. you know, and trying, trying to answer questions there. Um, Cause yeah, they, they want to, they have, they, they're very like data hungry. Like they want to know like how these businesses that they've, they've bought are doing. Um, totally. So it's very interesting for, from that regard. Um, yeah. I mean, like any mergers and acquisitions scenario, any company that does that is always such an interesting data project yeah. or projects since so like especially very acquisitive businesses like reinsurance for example it, maybe not even necessarily like pe firms specifically but just high highly acquisitive organizations that are trying to consolidate data and they've got like you said maybe not just 30 hubspot instances but like five other sap instances and you know six other major on-premise platforms that they need to now consolidate it uh, can get messy super quickly, get really difficult, along with all the other personalities associated with these companies. Yeah. Um, Stuart, what about you? <laughs> what about you from uh, your side? Like talking to different customers, talking to different organizations, different partners. You know, what industries do you feel like are are most interesting? Like anything interesting happening that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, uh, this might echo the the fact that I'm at uh, Coalesce now, but deliver. Yeah. Our good ironclad uh, solutions to businesses, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, I think the, the, the consumer market is, has, has been highlighted is, is, you know, hit or miss. And, but if you're delivering, you know, you know super strong um, products and solutions to businesses, there's less uh, churn um, in those services. And, and, um, I would say that uh, for interesting solutions is, uh, you know, building data products for SaaS-based um, companies, right? Yeah. Um, some of the fun I've had at, at Coalescence I've been here is, you know, we're, we're going through that process internally as well. We're, we bring a lot of data from uh, the Coalesce platform. We put it in Snowflake, as you do, right, of course. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to, trying to measure things and trying to measure the success of our customers. And I think... That's always fun getting data out of a custom or we'll say, you know, proprietary application and figuring out ways to measure its success. Right. Uh, there are theories uh, and you have to test the theories. You have to uh, propose algorithms and uh, decide whether or not they are, uh, 
you know, indicative of uh, the customer experience. So that's, uh, that's been fun since I've been here and, and it's always been fun. I had a lot of customers like that um, over the past, in the past. And that was always the most uh, uh, challenging because in a lot of those cases, the customer didn't know how to measure these things. Um, they didn't have the data, number one, but they hadn't really thought about measuring their customer success or journey. Right. And uh, you get to bring a lot to the table and really prove your prove your worth if you can deliver on that. Totally. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's inter- it's interesting talking to so many different types of industries. I think, you know, one thing that's unique about Coalesce being a, a early stage startup is we focused on like the most upmarket of upmarket use cases with like very sophisticated data warehouse experts. And so we, we were never initially focused on like some of the earlier stage tech companies, startups that, you know, are working on being data driven, which I think are some of the businesses that are being impacted the most right now, just with how venture capital markets look, but it, it is having an effect on every industry, whether it's retail, uh, like for example, like the gaming industry, like casinos, you know, we, we've been working with a couple of companies there and you're seeing not necessarily that the projects are stopping, but just that they're having to, they're just having to think more creatively about how they actually justify budget spend. And so it's like forcing us along with, I think every other vendor to have to really define the value associated with the technology before a purchase can actually be approved by finance or the CEO or whoever it may be. Um, some, some industries I think are a little bit more resilient. Like we were talking about this earlier and how like the insurance industry, you know, it's, it's not really an option. Like you're going to need to have car insurance or health insurance. Right. So regardless of what happens, like that's something that people are going to continue to use. And those companies are less impacted than say your t-shirt e-commerce company that's selling swag for a YouTube channel. You know, <laughs> but, but ideally, you know, hopefully what we see is that even those types of organizations can still accomplish what they need. They just are able to leverage different tech to do it and be a bit more productive than some of the other options out there. Put a focus on that versus like not doing anything at all. Cause the whole basis of data projects is to be able to drive more value out of the use case. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't be doing anything in the first place. Um, and so just figuring out strategies there is, is really key. So um, with, with all that, you know, one of the other things I, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed reading uh, on some of your blogs, Ben, is just around like the, the changes that are happening to data teams in general. And we'd just be curious to, to hear your feedback on like how, how are data teams changing? What shifts are you seeing with roles and, and personnel and why? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think overall, you know, I, I just kind of did a cursory look at, at different size, like not just size, more, more on like the type, like you brought up the types of roles that, that you're seeing. And, um, and obviously I think one of the things I pointed out, I think the article you're referring to is, that like different companies and different size companies have like varying data teams and like varying roles inside that data team. Right. Um, And some of that has to do with budget. Some of that has to do with just, you know, size of company that there's various reasons for that. But, you know, you're, you're kind of constantly seeing this like specialization, right. In, in, In terms of like, 
we kind of started in 2012 with data scientists. For a long time, those data scientists were forced to do kind of like ETL data engineering work. Then eventually oh. they kind of got split. Uh, and then, okay, we have data engineers, we have data scientists now. Uh, and now we've kind of seen in, in some companies where it's like, okay, on top of that, now we have like a data platform engineer, right? Like someone who's literally like building and managing um, all the solutions. Uh, maybe you have a data engineer, maybe you have an analytics engineering team or, or something similar on, on teams that are a little more uh, parsed out. And mm -hmm. so I think you're just seeing this constant specialization. And I think a lot of it's natural. Like when I say that, I don't think people are trying to add these layers. Before I even heard the term analytics engineer, I was like, oh, there's kind of like two types of data engineers was often how I would think of it. It's like there's the ones that are more software focused and ones that are more, you know, analytics focused. And that was how I describe it. Um, so I think that was kind of like a natural split. Uh, data platform engineers tend to be kind of more of just a team that, you know, uh, helps manage things that is kind of DevOpsy, maybe not completely. So, and, and I, I do want to point out that like, not everyone has this. Like if you're at a startup, you have probably a data engineer who's just like, yeah. I do all of it, right? Like I'm, I'm the person who's setting up all of this and, and trying to manage it and make it work. Um, we'll see if that gets kind of consolidated, but for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm, it just seems this interesting specialization uh, continues to happen um, right. pretty, pretty naturally regardless of if you, you think it should exist or not, it's like, mm, people just seem to kind of like float towards things. And I don't know if it's like similar to like, you know, you see that with like other professions where, you know, if you're a doctor, it was like, okay, first it was just all doctors. Now you have specializations and specializations that kind of parse out. So yeah, just kind of interesting. I, I always want one thing that I've always felt is especially in like the fortune 2000, you know, other, you know, mid-market companies, there's always been this, what I viewed as a very neglected role when it comes to the vendor space, especially in the modern data stack around data architects. Mm. And like every big company has a team that's responsible for data architecture and data architects or enterprise data architects. And it's something that I hardly ever see in the startup space or early stage companies. Do you, do you feel like that has just been replaced by like a data platform engineer? Like, is that the new data architect? Or do you think that there's gonna be a resurgence in that concept as companies realize the importance of data architecture once they fall on their face a couple of times? <laughs> like, wh what are your, both of your thoughts on that? Cause it, it, it just seems like such an important role that isn't really answered by a data engineer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like as much as it's not necessarily answered by the data engineer, I think that's who ends up doing it, right? Like, like generally it's like, oh, I just do all of it, right? At Facebook, that was kind of the way. I think it's somewhat encouraged probably by the data mesh architecture as well, where it's like, do you need a data architect or, or do you just have teams that kind of do their own thing, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously I think it's good to probably have someone that can add some sort of like centralized theme. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing that like a lot of teams can sometimes miss is like having some sort of centralized theme, even if it's just for the whole company of like, this is how we do data. Yeah. Uh, and define that way, patterns, like, right? Yeah. Define patterns and, and, and how they're going to be done and then turn those patterns over to the different teams. Right. Yeah. Maybe that becomes the head of data engineering's role. I mean, maybe that becomes the VP of analytics role is to define the architecture for the data engineering team. Because 
I could see how it'd be difficult as a data engineer that's already being spread thin to do everything to also take two steps back and look at the overall architecture and be like, yep, we're heading in the right direction. Like this is going to be, and not to mention like who gets the seniority to determine that if you've got differing of opinions. And so maybe it's just that that gets rolled up to the next level above of the head of data engineering. And that becomes part of the skill set. I'd say um, in the in the sort of the retooling that that I did for years, taking people up from off-prem, replatforming yeah. them in the cloud, and I'd often, you know, I would do this this uh, I've done this talk for a lot of customers about well, what does the ideal data team look like? And mm-hmm. if you look at like on-prem, the, with the concept of a primary report and a secondary report, right? Who's your prime? Who, who, what's your primary? And not this is not a person. This is sort of a um, uh, an endeavor, right? So on-prem or at least fortune, uh, 500, 200, whatever, mm-hmm. um, typically you've got the primary report being to technology. Uh, I'm a Unix admin, I'm a DBA, I'm whatever. And then the secondary report is to one or more projects that you're working on. I think what I would always recommend is shift that as you, uh, replatform and, and, it's, it's meshy. You know, we didn't have data mesh really uh, concept at that time, but it really is the, the, the concept of having your primary report be the domain under which you're, you're building data products for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, inter- the enterprise struggles with, with that uh, approach because the data team would be the only uh, team and, right. um, that's, that's shifting in that direction. But I think it actually as you move everything to the cloud, or at least most of the stuff that's movable, it really should be uh, sort of the approach you take is that your primary obligation should be to the thing you're building. Mm -hmm. Secondary uh, should be to the technology you use. And I think that we need to get more enterprises to sort of rethink IT departments Mm -hmm. along those lines. I I think they're being forced to because lines of business are being given access to technology that wasn't possible in the past. Like IT used to be the gatekeeper. The centralized IT team used to be the gatekeeper of data. Then lines of business now are able to go and get access to data and do whatever they want with it. And so how do we actually mesh these two together so that they can work in a complementary fashion is starting to just be forced, I would say, because these lines of business are now capable and you're starting to see like citizen data engineers within the lines of business start to just do their own ad hoc version of analytics for that department specifically. And so how you get the centralized team to actually work with that person or with that team in the line of business in a way that's complementary because they've got a more holistic view of all the lines of business combined in one centralized repository, I think it's just going to happen naturally it's starting to happen naturally i think the first step was lines of business being able to do this in the first place yeah and so it's it's exciting i mean i think that's one of the coolest things about the whole concept of data mesh i think there's still a little bit of room for for growth there and maturity before companies will really be able to implement it successfully um it's definitely some of the things it's one of the concepts i'm most excited about um you know accommodating from the coalesce side but but it does feel like it's it's we're still getting there right it's like does still feel like it's more conceptual than yeah fully executed um 
don't know if you guys agree with that, but like that's that's just been my overall sentiment. It's like we're marching towards it naturally, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there at some point soon. But it's still difficult in practice, especially in a large business. I really agree with Ben's point about um, you know define you know having the, the one thing that central IT or whatever you want to call it infrastructure can do is make it e define patterns, build out uh, yep. toolkits, uh, widgets, uh, templates, whatever you want to call it, right? But and deliver those to these domains so that they don't have to struggle with those pieces and also. It, it, you know, consistency across domains is really important. We don't necessarily want every, you know, data mesh domain defining technology. As a matter of fact, you don't want them doing that at all. You want them right. using the tools that have been agreed upon, the governance standards that have been agreed upon. You just want them to go and build the data product themselves, not, not define everything. And I think that that's definitely something that's missing yeah. in a lot of the, um, organizations that I've consulted for over the years. It, it's like the centralized team, whatever we want to call it, the centralized data team ha has to make this shift of historically being, uh, you know, maybe a gatekeeper to like somebody that, or a team that now empowers these other lines yeah. of business. And yeah, so on, it's instead, <laughs> instead of the team that always says no, you need to be the team that always says yes. Uh, yeah. And and have a culture that that enables that, right? But, I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's like you can't have access to that data, right? Or no, we're not, you know, we're not gonna, uh, you know, yeah. build build analytic solutions for this department or or whatever. Now you just need to, to to be the team that enables instead of disables. It's like you have to accept that you now do have access to that data just because of the nature of the situation, and so we need to figure out how we can work with that instead of how we used to work historically. So a bit of a paradigm shift, but yeah. exciting one, <laughs> super fun one. Nice. <clears throat> cool. Uh, we got like a few more minutes left. Anybody's got any last questions? I see we got some people chiming in here from Utah, UK, a little bit of a side conversation happening here around data quality because it is the year for data quality after all. It's the year. <laughs> <is> the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know, I think, I think as we wrap it up, I, I'd be curious, you know, if there's anything, anything else, you know, Ben on your side that you're seeing that we haven't touched on, like you brought up chat GPT earlier. I was up late last night talking to Satish about how it's going to impact everything. Kind of a little scary to be honest, but it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's kept either of you up at night or if you put much thought into that. Or anything else, anything else that's cool that's that's been on your radar. I I need to start poking around more with ChatGPT only in the sense that I've seen like as as someone that does do content, I'm like, oh, there's so many there's so many angles here. I've already seen no, kind it's of endless. Put well, no, I just mean like I, I think I there's a few people who have put together videos where it's like, oh, I did like a data engineering project with ChatGPT, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Like, yeah, yeah. How, how how would that kind of function? Um, I think what would be really interesting you know, is like a co-pilot for companies, like a, a GitHub co-pilot for companies where it's like, you know, Snowflake has all your prior queries that your companies run totally. or, or, or in a lot of other solutions do as well. Like why not just run that over all of that and like specifically tailor this model for your company and like create a solution that does that um, so that like it can auto complete your query or it's like, oh yeah, like 
I've already seen this query like a gajillion times because that happens all the time where it's like you're just rewriting the same query someone else did. Um, right. Even if it's just an, on an ad hoc basis or like sometimes you even lose your query. Like, like where did I put that query? I know I, I need to do this thing. I didn't save it. Um, so I think that would be interesting uh, for me just to like see if that could be something that could like, you know, improve efficiency. Because um, I think it's one of the things too. It's like every company has a slightly different data model. So the totally. way for it to be helpful would be, you know, being very tailored towards yours. Um, right. So I think that that's something I'd be be interested about. But yeah, there's a few angles I think I'd like to play with ChatGPT overall, um, especially again, just in the content space. Yeah, it looks like somebody's just commenting right now about using ChatGPT for creating DDL for tables, and it's about eighty percent accurate, yeah. which which I agree with. We we went through a bit of an exercise on using it to write joins, for example. And it was like, yeah, about 80% accurate. Like it's not perfect. You're still gonna need to refine it and, and you know, look through it with the fine comb, but it, it's, it is impressive. I mean, it's pretty cool to, to see it do other things like write you a poem about, you know, how much Stuart loves Ben or something like that. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what keeps me up at night, you know? Uh, <laughs> What about you, Stuart? Any other last thoughts before we wrap this up? I am a Ben fanboy. It's true. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, I'm really interested, excited about the uh, the data. Uh, sorry, the data catalog space. I was one track minded. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing where data catalogs go. Um, yeah, it, you know how much you, you know they get adopted because a lot of customers I've seen don't have them, right? Um, and they seem like the you know the lowest hanging fruit of. of uh, of uh, installing it and they start, you know, crawling everything you have and then they provide uh, information. And uh, I'm interested to see, you know, how much uh, we have at our fingertips uh, mm-hmm. a few years from now, uh, as far as what, what data people are using. AI is probably gonna, gonna play a big part in this or in ML is gonna play a big part in, in what those catalogs produce. Um, there's always this sort of curtain about, um, you know, I have, I can query my data, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. Um, and as we start to sort of pull back, pull back, you know, um, pull that out of the shadows and into the light and, and people know what the data means as opposed to just, uh, a table name and a column name. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, I'm pumped to have you both here. It looks like everybody's, uh, saying how much they appreciate it. Great session to both Ben and Stuart. Um, I always enjoy having these conversations. We're going to have some awesome guests in the next one next month with uh, Colin Graves from North Labs, along with Chris Tab from Leading Edge IT. I'm sure you've met with Chris recently, Ben, at some some event. Uh, uh, I missed him, sadly, because of the... Uh, when you were here, the snow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. He was in town that same week. You guys town. didn't get the chance to meet we up? To, we were supposed to do a happy hour the next day. And it was just like, everyone was like, mm, probably not making it. And I was like, going to cancel. Sorry, Chris. Sorry. And I think Matt had also flown out. I was like, sorry, Matt. Sorry, Chris. Luckily, Matt, like, I, I, I you might have seen him that day. Yeah, yeah. I ran into him yeah. that same night at the yeah, yeah. restaurant. Came, that came to the dinner that, that was being thrown that night. So, yep. It, was, it all worked out. It was at least with him, not with Chris. Sorry. Sorry. Crazy. I, I was driving back from Breckenridge towards Denver and Chris was like, Hey, I'm in, it was like Idaho Springs or something. And it was, I can't remember what the town's called between Breckenridge and Denver. And I ended up pulling off and we got the chance to catch up, meet in person, grab some beers. So I'm, I'm excited to have him on as a guest. I'm sure we'll have some great conversations, but with that being said, it was a great session. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you so much, Stuart. 
These yeah. are always so fun. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Yep, thanks, Thank everyone. you.